Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you for tuning in. Today I'm talking with Mary Allison Wright. She is owner of Rhino Yacht Club and wine director of both Morin and Proper Pour in Denver, Colorado. Mary, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. So you were raised in the South. Chattanooga, Tennessee is where your roots really are. And you mentioned a couple times in a bio and a couple uh, correspondence about Southern hospitality, which I think is such, such a fundamental philosophy and way of being that I think is very interesting. So I want to touch on your childhood a little bit, some of the things that maybe laid the groundwork for what you see as Southern hospitality. And then we're going to geek out on some Southern uh, iconic food items just a little bit of foreshadowing, but uh, tell me a little bit about being a 13-year-old in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and volunteering at the Kids Museum, which is where you technically got your start <laughs> at the concession stand. It's, it's in the industry. It's food and beverage. It's hospitality. Right. And you're the only 13-year-old I know that is volunteering. So talk to us about that a little bit and maybe how that set the groundwork for kind of your life to be in this industry. Well, um, one, the Creative Discovery Museum is super fun, especially if you're 13 or just a kid. Um, and so any excuse to go there more often, you know, was, was excellent. And once you, I can't remember what the, the age was that you had to be to volunteer, but um, the second I could do it, I wanted to uh, once I found out about it. And volunteering is a huge part of how my mom raised us. Um, she's very active in her volunteer work and has been my entire life. And and most certainly before that, I'm sure. But um, I, as far back as I can remember, I've always loved to host people and give them things. And, you know, whether that was like setting up like a fake bar in the basement of my best friend's parents' house and stealing their like beverages to like give back to them and like, you know, and, and serve them. Um, and so you got to choose what part of the museum you wanted to volunteer in. And, and I've always loved food, talking about it, eating constantly. And, um, and then that, that human element of, you know, being able to like serve people and interact. And, and so I really wanted to be in like the cafe area, which I got to be, and I would just sneak in the back and make myself sick on cookie dough. And I don't know how much work I actually got done. I mean, I distinctively remember like doing like little odd jobs, but then at the end of the day, I'm sure most of my time was spent, you know, just like hoarding cookie dough and not doing what I was supposed to do. So you did kind of get paid. You were a volunteer, but you got paid in cookie dough, which is a pretty good exchange of service for goods. I will still gladly take that exchange. I like that. That seems seems about right. So (laughs) then in high school, you varsity lettered on crew as a a coxswain? Coxswain. Coxswain? Oh, man. Coxswain. You should see how this is spelled. If if you're from out (laughs) east, you probably know. Uh, But you were on the row team. And basically, to paint a picture for everyone, you're the one barking the tempo at the actual rowers. And I thought it was really interesting. You kind of mentioned that that maybe set the 
groundwork for you being a boss. So talk to us a little bit about that, how that kind of set you up as somebody who was you know, in leadership. Um, I am a small person for those that don't know me. And, but I, I always was active in sports growing up. I did like swimming, soccer, track, um, long distance running. Um, and then I found the crew team. You had to be in ninth grade to join. And I was so excited. So my first year I joined and I rode for that first year and I was awful. Um, like most sports that I was in, I loved the community aspect and the physical element. I just wasn't very good. And, um, and so the following year, they suggested that I be a coxswain because I'm small enough. You have to, you can't add a lot of extra weight to the boat as, you know, a non-rowing member. And, um, you also can't be super tall because you have to fit into a small space. So, um, I got accepted to be a coxswain and turns out I am really good at giving orders and, and convincing people to do things, um, which is not surprising to those that you know, like my little brother and my mom, this was not surprising to them at all because I truly love to be in charge. And so I would sit in the, um, in the boat with like a little like Britney Spears microphone thing and eat candy bars and drink soda like in the microphone and bark at these girls. I went to an all girls school and I, you know, I have like extreme ADHD. And so I would be like, oh, look, a bird eyes in the boat. (laughs) Cause you're not supposed to like look out of the boat. You're supposed to say like, focused ahead. And so I was, I was good at it. I was good enough at it to be um, varsity ABO, but you know, it was a constant struggle between that and my ADHD and just being excited to like be out on the water and wanting to be social and talk to people. That's generally like how I get myself into trouble is becoming distracted and, and talking when I'm not supposed to. Yeah. I think this is, this is interesting. And, and maybe I'm going to save this little part of the conversation for a little later, cause I'm sure it'll come up. It's very unique to be in a position where you are able to be the leader of very talented people, right? And I think that's super important. And of course, you had immense amounts of talent as well, but in a completely different way than, than the rowers, right? The, the right. physicality that they had. And I think that's something in leadership in general and in restaurants, especially to manage a lot of big personalities, a lot of egos and a lot of talent. So I think we'll probably talk about that a little bit. So I'll put a a pin in that, but I think that's something that really resonated with me. And then you were really open and and vulnerable on a point. You said that you have a pretty severe OCD and that you were constantly waging war with it. And I'd love to talk about both sides of that coin. I think there is clearly some challenges and the, the mental health balance that you have to be able to be part of your normal, as well as I think there's some, some potential positives that I'd love to explore a little bit with knowing the amount of attention to detail that it takes in a restaurant. I'm sure your, your eye for that is immense in comparison to most. So maybe just take the floor and, and tell us what, what OCD has meant kind of in your life, both challenges and, and positive outlooks. Well, um, I would say, I can't remember how old I was when I was diagnosed with OCD, but I had extreme anxiety and OCD as a child. And a lot of that had to do with um, just, you know, turmoil of like home life and things like that. And, and so my, um, my experiences manifested in that way. And it, it really ranges uh, from being um, obsessive compulsive about like my clothes and the way that they're fitting or the things around me and how they're laid out. I don't have to like flick the light a bunch of times, but things just have to be, you know, nulled and and at 90 degree angles and like very orderly. And I would, in high school, I would like, and college, I would take notes really quickly 
And then I would go home and I would rewrite them so that they were perfect. And so that's obviously, it's good for studying. And, and that's something that like really helps me is to like write things and rewrite them as I'm learning. So that had a benefit, but it's, it, it can also be very time consuming and, and, and not really necessary. Um, and so I used to take medication for it when I was little. And then when I met uh, my husband and we've been together literally 1 million years, um, my life sort of stabilized a little bit and I had this like very stable presence. And so that helped. And I, I stopped taking medication for anxiety and OCD probably, I think it was like 18 or 19 when I stopped. So it's been a long time um, since I've been taking anything, but um, it's really a constant battle to remind myself. I have to check in with myself and say, is this healthy that I'm obsessing over it? Is there a positive outcome or is this just to um, soothe myself and my anxiety right now? Um, and it's, it truly is a constant battle. And like you mentioned in the restaurant, I'm sure to the annoyance, um, you know, immense annoyance of my staff, I am constantly following them around, going behind the bar, straightening things. Um, it's the first thing I do when I get to proper pour, I go behind the desk, I throw away all the trash, I wipe it down, I straighten everything. And so it has the positive benefit of, um, you know, that orderly cleanliness organized um, aspect that you want to see in a restaurant or a business. But at the same time, it can be very annoying to those around you. Um, so I'd say like in a nutshell, those are maybe my positives and negatives and, and, and where I am currently with that. I was, I was feeling like goosebumps in my skin was just like with you the whole time because I, I have so much of that as well. There's so many interesting things like little ticks. I never put the volume on anything to an odd number or like towels always have to be perfectly folded. Pencils are always like lined up and pens are lined up and things like that. So I can definitely relate to that. And same thing. I don't have flicking on lights and things like that, but I think it's something that a lot of us deal with is just that level of right. needing things to be a certain way right and i th and i think we can use it as a positive uh, funny story not to hijack the uh the, the ocd tendencies story but <laughs> it, at tag restaurants i remember it would drive me crazy because coming out of the open kitchen was a straight line of banquettes and the the table sets you know the wine glasses and things weren't always in a straight line they kind of weave back and forth from each of the sets of tables along the banquette and it drove me batshit and so i was like i'm gonna fix this and they're like you can't do it it'll drive you crazy i was like it is driving me crazy and i went and got a laser pointer and and made them use a laser pointer and they were like this you're so crazy we're gonna come up with their own system and they had a system of measuring where they used their their checkbook and a couple other things to create the same right. distance and I was like all right cool I'm glad you guys owned it because otherwise I was going to lose my mind so I can respect right. that a lot you mentioned something that I think is very important and I'd love even just a little bit more depth of the practical way you do this you said you check in with yourself how are you really checking in with yourself in an industry where you're going a million miles a minute there is no time to stop and check in so we think and it leads to a lot of issues. Give everyone listening who I'm sure is lots of people like us that just have those little ticks and are trying to use them to their benefit. But how do we check in with ourselves? Oh man, it is. I mean, it's tough. It's a learned, it's a constant learned practice because what you're doing feels good, right? It gives you control over the situation and it's um, controlling 
other things that are going on within you um, that might that are causing turmoil. And so when you um, and usually like physically have to like stop what you're doing even for a second and and take control of your situation and and check in and say how am I doing? How am I feeling? Why am I doing this? Um, is am I in the situation I need to be in? Do I need something? Am I thirsty? Am I hungry? Um, you know, am I angry? What's going on? Um, and certainly, you know, and that gives us control over our reactions too, and, and how we're reacting with our coworkers. And because if we lose control of that situation, which is easy to do, then we, that's when we end up making um, errors that can cost us uh, things like relationships and jobs, um, because we don't have control of our situation and our emotions. And so it's just, it's a constant thing to, that you have to remind yourself to do is stop in and think like, what am I doing right now? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? And then, you know, and nullify what you can. The biggest part is like checking in and saying, what do I actually have control over? Because a lot of times it's just your feelings and not what's actually happening. Um, and that's a huge practice that I've learned from my mom. And a big thing that comes from um, growing up and living with um, an addict is like, you have to know um, what, what you have control over, um, uh, because you can't control things that you don't have control over as silly as that sounds. And my mom is so good about reminding me about that. And she's an actual living saint and angel. And so I, I just try to absorb all that I possibly can from her. So like what you said about knowing what you can control, and I think you can control your emotions. You can also just control your reaction to it. And just thinking about what you said, uh, as a whole, I heard something that, that resonated with me. I think both sides of this people in our industry can relate to that anxiety is an obsession with the future and a depression is an obsession with the past. And I think that's a very interesting way to think about it is just being in the moment is potentially the most important thing to keep from both of those scenarios of obsessing about things that you cannot control that have either already happened or that are going to happen no matter what you do. So I think that's really great. Thanks for, for sharing that with us. I know a lot of people are gonna get value out of that. Well, thanks for putting it like that. I saw, I have not heard someone uh, refer to anxiety and depression like that, and that's incredibly powerful. And I think a, a really, really great way to explain why it's important to be present. Yeah, it really, really clicks with me. All right, that was heavy and deep. Now we're gonna get goofy <laughs> and playful. Amazing. All right, this, is, this is fun. I always like to dig into people's fridges and pantries. I can tell that you are obsessed with food and eating and drinking for sure, as you mentioned, because you have the most lengthy and in-depth description <laughs> of the things that are staples in your house. So I love that. The one that I picked out that I thought was interesting was Duke's mayonnaise. Not only did you say Duke's mayonnaise in parentheses after you put fight me. And I was like, <laughs> I love that. It is so ingrained in the culture of the South. People outside the South who haven't experienced it just don't know about Duke's mayonnaise and really, there's, there's no argument. Like, there's arguments about, you know, regional burger places. I'm from California. You could say In-N-Out is better than X, Y, and Z. There is really no debate of a mass-produced mayonnaise. Maybe <laughs> you making mayonnaise at home could be better than Duke's, maybe. But it is doubtful. the best mayonnaise. It's doubtful, for sure. It's sugar-free, I think, is interesting. They use extra egg yolks, so it's super creamy and rich. There's that little bit of twang from vinegar. Like it, it's just, it's all the things. Uh, just give us a little bit for the people that either are going right now, hell yes, because they know, or the people that have no idea. Give us why Duke's mayonnaise. 
Uh, it's a way of life. I mean, it makes things taste better. Um, obviously things that need mayonnaise and it's just so perfectly done and such a cultural icon that that's why Duke's mayonnaise. Uh, it's, it's hard to explain. It's just one of those very peculiar things that people are super passionate about, um, which is hilarious, but um, that's, that's why. That's it. That's it. It's like the, it's the thing that connects people that are Alabama, LSU, or South Carolina college football fans. Oh, they God. still Hottie can Hottie. all agree on, <laughs> they can agree on a handful of things. Duke's mayonnaise is one of them, which I, I think is interesting. So for our best served on ice game, I had to geek out and go down the rabbit hole as I always like to do. And we're going to play a game called Eugenius Duke. <laughs> A fun play on Eugenia Duke, who is the creator of Duke's Mayonnaise. Loved hearing her story, which I'd kind of heard a little bit about. There was this interesting story about this woman, but digging into it, I don't know how much of it is actual hard fact versus, right. versus folklore, but it's pretty great. You know, In 1917, uh, she was in Greenville, South Carolina, and she was feeding GIs, World War I uh, soldiers, and she was selling sandwiches. She was doing like little egg salad, chicken salad, pimento cheese sandwiches. And there was saying she would be selling 10,000 sandwiches in, in 1917 for like 10 cents a pop. I just love that story. And, Same. and then she, she was just like OG entrepreneur. And then she saved enough money to buy a car and traveled around the South selling mayonnaise at like drugstores. Like that is just... <laughs> That's as good as it gets as an American entrepreneurial food story. So I want you to give us, give us some of that heart and soul. I'm going to give you a few different scenarios of where you may bring a Duke's mayonnaise inspired dish to play and, and let us, let us geek out a little bit and let us also just salivate about the couple dishes that you would serve in these different situations. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. All right. Since Eugenia was making sandwiches, so many great sandwiches, iconic sandwiches that feature mayonnaise. So you are making a classic sandwich with Duke's mayonnaise. What kind of sandwich is it and why? BLT. Like the because. best sandwich. Straight yeah. to the best sandwich there is. Yep, the BLT. Uh, I love it. Tell us why. I mean, when, it, when you get it right, when the tomatoes are so perfectly in season and they're just like at the height of you know ripeness and and perfection and then you have this like perfectly cooked bacon it can't be too crispy because then you lose the flavor and the texture but it can't it needs to have you know like some crisp to it so that it's not just like a gummy mess and you need to have that perfect ratio too you want like a pretty decent layer of lettuce you don't just want like one thin little piece like everything needs to be in the perfect ratio like you know you get like your sandwich architect pants on and then you put the most beautiful perfect condiment on it aka duke's mayonnaise and nothing in this world can compete with that experience you we could hang out anytime anytime <laughs> we can have sandwich your sandwich architect i like that the composition's so important blt Absolutely. is interesting it's a seasonal because it's got to be those good fresh tomatoes right. I love, your t I love what you're talking about with the bacon. It can't be super crispy where it just turns into shards as soon as you right. bite it. Are you toasted or untoasted bread? Toasted. Okay, okay. And will you add avocado to make it that BLTA or that blat? 
Absolutely not. All right. All right. I like it. You got <laughs> that. You got your sandwich down. I am <laughs> super into it. Love it. All right. Now you are, we're coming up right now in the holiday season. You're with family. You're bringing something to the family dinner. High expectations. What are you bringing to family dinner featuring Dukes? Um, probably deviled eggs. Unless this is like in the middle, we're talking like the December holidays, right? And and not like just a family gathering. Yeah, let's go with that. Let's go with the the holiday season, come the winter holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, yes, all of that, New Year's, all those. I'm feeling deviled eggs in this scenario. One because I love them. Two, my brother thought that they were called doubled eggs for a really long time, so we love to bring this up and laugh at him about it. And three, like they're just like such a good party snack. It's one bite, maybe two bites if, you know, it's a giant egg. But it's it's something that you can like take a little liberty with or you can make the super classic one, you know, like that grocery store sort of version of. But I, I love all of it. And I just feel like we don't get enough deviled eggs in our life. So I think that's where I'm going with that. I'm so glad you said that. That is my favorite mayonnaise-based uh, they're so hors d'oeuvre. They're so good. If there's an hors d'oeuvre. And you know what? They're, they're tedious, too. They take a little time, yes. a little finesse. you got to be able yeah. to boil an egg properly. you got to be able to peel it properly. So when right. somebody does a, a deviled egg well, respect. Well, and they put all that time into that for you, you know, and for their guests. Like, that wasn't an easy undertaking. And it's a perfect bite, too. Right. You know, like this one bite, well, for me, one bite, and you get all <laughs> the things and the balance and the ratio, as you mentioned with the sandwich, super important. Absolutely love. I co-sign all the way. You are two for two. If this was a, a test or a competition, you're two for two. I don't know that Amazing. it is, but you're Amazing. I like winning, sure. so this is great. Love it. Your, your coxand days, you are, you are <laughs> winning again. Uh, picnic. Chill, casual with the homies. Picnic outside. Summertime now. What are you bringing Pimento cheese. A must. I mean, a an absolute mu I mean, must for mayonnaise for the South. Now, question, are you cream cheese as well in your pimento, or is it mayonnaise only? Because there's schools well. here. Okay, yeah. I like both, though, but I just feel like it makes a better, more broadly appealing spread. But I do love the one with just mayonnaise too. I mean, and pimento cheese is one of those things that's like, I will eat any version of it, like a deviled egg. I will eat the garbage gas station version or the really fancy version. And how are you serving it? Toast points, soft bread, chips. Oh What's the man, vessel? I mean, that's tough. If this is like a cutesy picnic, then like maybe some like little toast points or something, maybe some crumbled bacon on top. But if this is like down home, we're sitting there drinking like Miller Lite or like, you know, some awful drink out of a solo cup, then it's like white bread and pimento cheese and some, maybe some chips and people are like making sandwiches, just soak up all the alcohol. Or just with a fucking spoon. It's whatever. Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got the yeah. pimento cheese, right? I love it. All right. Now, mayonnaise, late night, can be dangerous, but oh, you are yeah. late night after the bar, feeding your friends, trying to stay alive. What is your mayonnaise dish of choice for the late night after bar scene? 
Oh, my um, husband and I are obsessed with eating chicken salad with chip with jalapeno chips. And so that's like something that we regularly have. And it's so good when you get home from the bar because it's like, it has a touch of sweetness. It's salty. It's crunchy. It has everything that you need in that instance. And it's a definite go-to for us. So I encourage anyone that hasn't tried that yet. It's a great snack. It, it travels well. Um, but yes, chicken salad with chips is the vehicle for eating it. Love it. Somebody's doing that as soon as they hear this episode. I hope so. And, and we'll be singing your praises. Amazing game of Eugenius Duke, Duke's mayonnaise representing. Right. And she's such a queen. Like when you said that she was driving around selling her sandwiches and, you know, being entrepreneurial, I had this like flashback of driving around selling fish and whites or panic floor mats around the South. And I was like, maybe that's my soul sister. 100%. She laid the groundwork. <laughs> right, right. I couldn't have done that without her going first. I mean, we talk about Southern hospitality. It's, it's that kind of, it's her and so many others like her in different fashions. But that's, that's where it comes from, trying to connect something so meaningful to, to And people. share, right. That's it. Just making sandwiches for people. That's what it was all about. It wasn't about having the best mayonnaise. It was about making people happy, feeding people. And I think that's so fundamental. And that's the why and the who over the what and the how. Absolutely. The what turned out to be amazing, but the why, why she was doing it and who she was doing it for, I think is exactly. what's timeless about it. So, right. I mean, feeding people is the, the ultimate joy. Truth. Well, let's talk about some more of the who's. So want to dig into some of the people that have impacted your journey, your life, your career. Always kind of like to start at the beginning. So talk to us about somebody early on in your life that really set the groundwork for you that you can see that kind of connect the dots directly to you as a, as a practitioner of Southern hospitality? Oh, without a doubt, my mom. I mean, my mom, as I mentioned earlier, is an actual living saint. She loves to take care of people, feed people, give them her time if it benefits you know, them um, over her own needs. And she's just, I mean, her, she's inspired me as, as far back as I can remember. She's a doctor, she was the first female doctor at um, the first two practices where she worked actually. Um, and so she's just always, you know, been this sort of like take no prisoners attitude. And that's where that comes from. And it's like, I'm going to be here and do this because I know I'm smart enough to, I know I'm good enough to, but I'm also going to take care of anyone I possibly can and lift them up along the way. And so that's like my number one um, uh, person that inspires me daily that has since, you know, I was literally born <laughs> since that's my mom. You, so you phrase something interesting that I think is, is really important. You said, give her time. And I think sometimes we don't think of time as being a, a gift given like something more tangible, but it's the most important thing you can give somebody is right. time. Why do you think that's something that she did? And why do you think that's something that you clearly like latched onto and can, can see now is so important? I, I think why she did is just because that's part of who she is. You know, we have these things that make up who we are and hers is being a, like a literal giver. She um, would give someone, uh, you know, literally the shirt off her back if, if she thought that it would make their situation better. And so I just think that's so integral to who she is. Um, but that was instilled in us at a young age as, as being an important um, and, and necessary quality to have and being generous with the things that you can give. And if you can't give, um, you know, tons of money or, um, 
tangible physical things you can give your time and 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 how um and you know in whatever way that it can benefit those around you or those that are in need of time you say generosity uh, you got these these words these important words generosity is such an interesting idea as well and hospitality is so intertwined with the time that we're giving the time that it takes and involves involves to be able to accomplish the goal of hospitality and the generosity that it takes that tr true generosity to talk to us a little bit maybe about how you see some of mom in you with the generosity with giving time and, and that level of hospitality wow um i think that's a loaded, it's serious it's serious serious question um i it's hard to articulate why we do something that's so um natural for us to do it's hard to break it apart and think about why you do it um but i really genuinely thrive on that human interaction and human element and and um and giving people my time and, and and in turn getting their time and feeding off of them and what they're doing and and that's what keeps me going and gets me out of bed so it's it's kind of hard to explain why for me it's just that's how you know that's just like what how i how i do anything how i get out out of bed how i go to work why you know why i do what i do and um and that's i don't really know what i would do otherwise <laughs> like i no idea. I think it's great. I think the fact that it is such a difficult thing to pinpoint and to strive to pinpoint it, to be able to bottle that secret sauce and pass it on to your team is so, so important. You mentioned something, and I think it's interesting when we think about food and then we think about restaurants and hospitality, the money seems like the transaction, but the time is the much more valuable transaction because now uh, we, we see people can buy your food and get it delivered to their house. They are not giving you their their time but they are endorsing and loving the, the the duke's mayonnaise deviled eggs that you're serving right but the time that they're coming to you is something that you clearly take so seriously and i think everybody listening in hospitality the most important thing the time that is given to us is truly what the transaction that it should be the most important so i love love that you're talking about that i think it's super important so you did articulate it very well <laughs> I hope I hope so. Sometimes words fail us, and and it's hard to um, understand why we do something until you know we're forced to to give words and life to it. You know, it just becomes like so rote, and not in like a non-exciting way, but it's just like something that's like chugging along. And then you stop, and you're like, wait, what am I doing? You know, and um, and maybe someone points out something that you have would never have thought about otherwise. But um, that. I just, you know, that like innate sense to interact with people and make their situation better and give them anything we have to give, I think is the, the heart of hospitality and, and it, it keeps us all together and it keeps this industry alive. And, um, I think, you know, at, at the end of the day, like some people might say that you're, you're just serving food or serving cocktails or whatever, but it goes way beyond that. Right. Otherwise people wouldn't come back to this, to see a certain person or go back to the certain place because it's like, it creates a feeling and it, and it gets us, um, it gives us layers to our life and, and depth and, and, and those meaningful relationships. You're preaching. It's, it's why we get out of bed and right. when it ceases to be, then you got to get out uh, because that's, that's what you're in. <laughs> or so as Jeffrey Morgenthaler would say, you just keep going and then it gets better the next day. So 
I, I, I think that's a really good point. It's like, we all have bad days. It doesn't mean that, you know, something is fundamentally wrong and maybe it is, but it's like, maybe you're just having a bad day. And I think yeah. that's important too. And a bad day, a bad week is just time again. The contextualization exactly. of time is so important to think, to have that perspective, take that moment, check in with yourself. I mean, we're, we're hitting on some, some, some fundamental and core things within the industry that I think are so important. It's why I want to have these conversations. Why and who before what and how. We get caught up in the minutia of what and how so often. And look, what you do and how you do it, it matters. I'm not diminishing the, that they matter. They're so important. Right. However, if you're grounded and you have a North Star and those are rooted in why and who, then the what and how is so much easier to sort out because why and who is timeless, what and how can be evolutionary. It can be a trend. It may be a trend that lasts for your entire lifetime, but it is a trend because they're continuously evolving. But why and who are, man, they're so fundamental. So I love what we're talking about here. It's really important stuff. Well said. Well said. Yes. I have a couple words that sound good sometimes. So <laughs> same. I, I just practice them over and over. Dude. That's what you got to do. Uh, you got to continue to say them again and again and again. The things that quote unquote go without saying absolutely do not. They must exactly. be said again right. and again and again and again with vigor and conviction because otherwise they're passe and they just don't stick. So I think it's important stuff. So mom, amazing answer. Starting with mom is always a good place. <laughs> Nobody can live up to mom, but let's move forward a little bit in your life. And, uh, and maybe I'm interested because you were, you were all in on music, promoting music all across the country. And uh, you wrote that you ended up in Denver a few times for shows and were just captivated by the youth of the scene, things like that. So I'm very interested maybe if there is something in music and somebody who kind of guided you towards food or even that transition from music to food, how that happened who was there for kind of those moments? I would say um, the people that were there for those moments were the people um, behind the bars and the restaurants that we were going to and less of like one person driving that change. Um, but so basically entering into the music industry was sort of a selfish choice for McLean and me because we loved, we still loved music and we loved traveling around to see it. I mean, we're both like, closeted giant fish fans and we still go on tour whenever we can obviously that's far less frequent now but um and we would drive all over the southeast um and you know go on like as many show or uh go on like as long of a run um on the tour as we could before we like had to go back to work or school and so when we graduated college that was sort of like a no-brainer for us because it was like oh well let's try to make this a career um and let's be you know we were always uh, resourceful and in, in trying to figure out ways to fund how we could stay on tour. I mentioned selling floor mats earlier, um, you know, whatever it was like selling beer on the lot, whatever we could do to make money to like keep doing that and having fun and, and having those experiences. And so we um, decided to combine our love. Um, McLean and I both share this in, in um, insanely passionate love of food and beverage. And, and uh, we decided to combine our love of that and, and hospitality and taking care of people and music. And so when we would promote shows, like a big thing for us was focusing on um, the artist's hospitality and, uh, and you know, like in their green room and, and going above and beyond their expectation and, and how we take care of them and their guests. And 
and um and even further the the people at shows like smaller shows that we could you know get have a, a bigger impact of like how these people felt taken care of and how it just wasn't like your average experience of going to a show or showing up and having the things on your rider so that was like our harebrained idea for being music promoters and combining these two loves um but then as we were traveling um it was kind of like i guess not kind of like it was literally the the sort of birth of the cocktail renaissance as they call it like in you know early 2000s and um so we were um in new york when pdt was opening uh patterson house opened in nashville around the same time holman and finch um, clover club violet hour um you know all of these places that started to explode and blow people's minds and you know force things that hadn't been made and and you know for forever um to go back into production so that people can make these cocktails and and so that's when we were really traveling around promoting shows and we became obsessed with this and um and learning more about it and loved it so much and loved the people behind the bar more than anything you know it was like this was when um jim meehan was behind the bar and greg best in atlanta and and Miles and and Kelly Thorne. I mean, they're they're all still working in the industry. Paul um, Calvert and um, and our our friend Matt Toko in Nashville. And like all these people were like just blowing our minds in terms of hospitality, uh, attention to detail, um, all of these crazy ingredients that we didn't understand. And so it, it like totally rocked our world, and we became like obsessed with recreating these things at home because in Chattanooga there was nowhere to to get these ingredients or or go out and buy these drinks. And so we would stock up and, and go home and make them. And, and it became like more than an obsession and, uh, and an at-home hobby. And we realized that we didn't really love working in the music industry. We just loved seeing music. What we really loved was that um, food and beverage uh, combination with hospitality. Um, and so we decided to exit the music industry and get back into working in the restaurants and bars, which we had both grown up doing, as, as many people do for their first jobs. And so we almost permanently moved to Atlanta, but Atlanta's scene is very established, has an incredible food and beverage scene. And Denver, which, you know, um, as you mentioned earlier, we were coming out here for shows a lot. And a lot of our friends that are artists either lived here or still live here. And it just was so raw and young and exciting. And a, a lot of that was driven by um, Max McKissick, who we work with now, and, and Sean Kenyon. And they were working together at the time. And at the squeaky bean the original one and that was the first place we ever went in denver and we were like blown away um and we thought this is this is where we want to be like we love these people we love this place we think that we can do something here that hasn't been done um we can you know make a community become part of a community push a community like it just it checked all the boxes and it felt like home and um and i'm and that brings us to now so that's that's how we went from um touring with fish to uh working in wine and, and beverage basically in a nutshell it's that's amazing journey i want to talk about mclean a little bit yes and there's a couple things that kind of clicked knowing you two and, and the dynamic i think is something interesting and you mentioned mclean being such a, a balancing figure in your life when you were talking about you know getting off medication and and kind of that moment in your life i'm very interested in that what the dynamic is between the two of you that allows both of you to be such fucking badasses in your own right 
but the sum of the parts, right? That is right. like you two together is greater than the sum of the parts for sure. And that's very, very clear how you balance each other out, how you challenge each other and push each other. Give us some of that because that I think is such an important part of the relationship just for any two people that are, you know, co-founders, co-owners, then the husband and wife, there's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack there. Give us just a little bit of how you're able to manage that and how you thrive within that together. I'm honestly, like we talked earlier about checking in with yourself. It is constant to um, survive within a relationship at home and in business um, in a, in a successful and healthy way. But we are also freaks of nature and genuinely love spending nearly every second of every day together. So that also helps. Um, but we couldn't, we're very, very different. Um, and, and that itself creates a really great balancing act. He is, and you know, he's, um, like the quintessential artist, right? Like, um, he, he is like, I like to use the, um, the analogy of like, He's like a balloon that you just let go of. And so you can like still sort of jump up and grab it if you need to, but it's like floating away maybe. And if you let it go too far, it's you've lost sight of it. And that's what pushes his creativity though and 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 what drives him. And and so it's it's really incredible to be around and really inspiring. But I am the complete opposite where I am hyper focused on detail, you know, tying back to OCD. I'm neurotic. I'm, um, you know, I love to schedule things. And, and so I, that's, that has a, um, a, that's a very good balancing act, right? So we, we bring totally different things to the table. And then, um, as you said, like, I really believe that together we're greater than the sum of our parts. And I think that that's a testament to how we've been together for so long, how we have businesses together. Um, we just, it just works. And, um, and not every day is easy by any means, not every minute is easy. And I think that that's a big, um, misunderstanding for people. They, um, they think that, Oh, well, you figured it out. It's, it must be really easy. And, and I'm with this person and it's not easy. So it must not be right. And by all means, like you don't want it to not be easy, but it is never always going to be. And that's a literal minute by minute battle. Um, and we have to constantly like check ourselves, remind ourselves like what's important. Um, and you know, certainly like the um, immense amount of love we have for each other is, is what drives a lot of, um, our success. And, and, but you know, it's, it, it is not easy at all. Like, I, I just hope that people know that, like, um, if you are in a relationship and wondering like if it's ever not going to be, it's, it's always going to be hard, but it's like, is it the hard that's worth it? Or is it the hard that isn't? And I think that that's at the end of the day, what's the most important question to ask yourself. Oh, so good. So, so good. There's a couple little nuggets in there that I, that I want to expound upon and everyone listening get, I think is just getting a lot of value out of this because we're, this is real. The relationships that we have with our guests, with our staff, with our team. And so often we spend every second with these people, their family, and then so many of us also have you know, spouses in the industry, things like that. So I think it's very important stuff. You said that it's hard, that there's going to be those moments. And I think we touched on the perspective of time, of like taking a step back, checking in with yourself and saying, is today hard because today was hard? Or is it some bigger, broader context that's bringing me down in this moment? And I think, again, like the why and the who is so important. Like if you get caught up on what they said or how they did this thing that you didn't like, it's the minutia. Exactly. Why you guys are doing what you're doing together, 
who you're doing it for each other, your, your staff, your guests, it, then the little shit doesn't matter. Right. It no. just, it doesn't. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Speak on that a little bit more. Honestly, the minutia is what will drive you insane, what will build resentment, you know, what will keep you up at night, cause anxiety, as you mentioned, worrying about the future. Um, and I, I can't stress enough how important it is to realize what is minutia, what you should forgive, what you should um, maybe address either in the moment if it's appropriate or if it's, if it's not, write it down and come back to it if it's important, but don't get caught up on it. Um, unless it is some fundamental um, difference or thing that is wrong and, and that's really driving something um, you know bad in between a really in, in, in a relationship it's it's really important to realize um, what is so small that it it just deserves to be left behind because I, if I sit back and I think about um, like something hilarious in my daily life is like McLean loves to sprinkle things as he walks through the house, like socks, hat, wallet, receipts, trash, every time he comes home. And I love for everything to be in order, nothing out of place. And so it's like, if I think about that, it could literally drive me insane, but that's not healthy for either one of us. And so if you lean into that, I know he's going to do it. I know it's always going to happen. And so it's almost like it becomes this like comedy, right? And maybe it's a dark comedy, but now it's just like one of those layers of my life that I don't have control over. I only control how I feel about it. And so I'm leaning into that and I'm checking in with myself and, and I'm like, is this important? No. So I'm going to move past it. I'm going to control what I can and I'm going to laugh about it because it is hilarious. We are so different. And that's like the most superficial way to explain that is like, I, you know, it's a daily reminder of like why, why I love him, why we're different and, and how I, need to control what I can and, and how I can be a better person. So I think that this, that's, this is amazing. I mean, <laughs> this is so good. Stories like that are just the best because they're so human. They're so real. They're so fucking like matter of fact in the way that we live our lives and navigate things. And the fact that you can laugh about it is so, so important because all those ticks at the end of the day, the ticks that all of us have, the, there's what make us unique and interesting. And they're the things that I can point at and go, that's why I love you, even though it drives me fucking crazy. And it's, right. it's so, so important. And right. it, perfect timing because I always love isms. And so you, you said the balloon part of McLean, I was going to have you give me some funny, goofy stories that just like encapsulate. So you nailed it. So I think that's <laughs> super great. So at this point, we'll, we'll talk about your nominee for Unsung Hospitality kind of in the next part. I wanted to give you an opportunity, though. You have so many great people working with you. And I want the goal of this is I want people to hear their names and their stories in our stories cumulatively within the industry. And so you already mentioned uh, some names that inspired you that kind of were icons in the industry. I'd love to hear about some of the people that we don't know. And so just take a, take a minute or two and just list off every single person you can think of that works with you that's worked with you over the last years if you've built out Proper Poor and Rhino Yacht Club and what you're doing at Morin because I just, I just want them to know how much they matter to you. So oh my let's God, do that they, and then we'll get into your nominee, right? They're everything. All right, let's see if I can do this. Um, Nick, Rachel, Lauren, uh, Tyler, Chris Dunsmore. Oh my God. Um, and I, I mean, Lauren Lowe, Chris Dunsmore, Rachel Gass, Tyler Lewis, um, Nick Kieran. 
Um, uh, currently at Marin, holy shit, I love them all so much. Ryan, Isaiah, Eli, Molly, um, Willie. I mean, those are like, those are ride or dies, right? Like at this point, they're family. They're literally my ride or dies. And, and that's how I, I like to have uh, relationships at work, especially like we are, we're going to show up for each other. I will be there in the middle of the night for you. I will bail you out of jail. I will, I will fight for you. I will do whatever I possibly can. And, and all of those people make, I mean, my heart literally explode when I think about how much I love them. And like right now in the shop, we have um, uh, Stuart, who I'm just starting to, to know. He works at Lady Jane too. And Sarah hired him and I fucking love him. And I love every single person I work with right now. They're all literal angels, even with their imperfections, they're little literal angels because Lord knows I'm full of imperfections and we know how to make room for each other's mistakes, forgive, celebrate, and you know, what we're good at. And, and I can't stress enough how important it is to realize immediately what you are not good at and surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, better than you, and, and become a family because that's what is going to make a successful business and give it longevity. And I am so grateful for every single person um, Ben hoops, um, I, I'm, you know, just like reeling back over like who Cameron Matarachi, like all these people that showed up to work at either yacht club or proper poor that I still call, um, you know, in a pickle if we need them. Um, you know, even, uh, Hank Murphy over at American bonded, we call, um, you know, if we're in, a, in, a, you know, in a desperate situation and he'll come work in the shop for a few hours, Alex, Katie, like all of these people are what make, this remotely possible. Otherwise it would have folded 1 million the second we started. So I, I love them all unconditionally. And I, I, I feel like I tell them that because I love to shower people I love with love, but I, it deserves to be sung, said out loud over and over and over. <laughs> That's right. The things that quote unquote again are go without saying don't go without right. saying and so no. i think it's so important because now like i want and you're gonna kick yourself later that you forgot two or three people's names i oh, just know you absolutely it will literally keep me up tonight i'm sure so if you're listening and i didn't say your name i love you more and that's <laughs> the thing is now what's gonna happen is your episode is gonna come out you and everybody's gonna realize it's not actually your episode it's our episode everybody who's been a part of that you're going to go through in your head every single Holy person. shit, Alex Jump. It just came to me. Oh, my God. There you God. go. See? Literal yeah. queen on this earth. Feel, feel free to just blurt out names as the rest <laughs> no, of this conversation goes on. I'm just going to scream names at you for the rest of it. I think it's pretty amazing. And then you're going to post this episode on social media and go, oh, my God, you and you and you and you and you and you. I <laughs> right. forgot about you. But, man, I, am I thinking about you. Or you're going to reach out to somebody you haven't talked to in 10 years and go, you know what? I was just thinking how much this one thing that you said to me this one time changed everything for me and i just that's that's what's so important it's what we don't do enough of and i am trying to promote the hell out of doing more of it so excited that you got to shout out some people now we want to go deep on one specific person talk to us about your nominee for unsung hospitality hero oh my god i could go on and on about how much i love this woman um sarah bennett she is originally from Denver. She moved to Boston where she was working in the um, food and beverage industry. And um, she came back to Denver for um, some um, family circumstances and 
She is now our director of operations at Proper Poor. I have so much love for her. There's so much I can learn from her. We could not do anything without her at this point. Now that she's shown us how incredible she is, I'm like, we can never do this without you. Um, so she is, she just took over a few weeks ago and it's, I mean, it's like she's been there the whole time and like she created it from the ground up. So I, I mean, everything she does is incredible. She's so hilarious. She's so brilliant. She's so warm. And she also has that, um, you know, genuine caring spirit, but also isn't going to take any bullshit or suffer any fools. So, and that's the kind of person that we love. And, and I just, I'm thankful every single second that she has not quit yet. So <laughs> that's that, those kind of rock stars are so rare, so important. They really, really prop up. Why do you think Sarah specifically, or just the genre of Sarah's all across the industry, because there's so many, why do you think that they find their way into our lives? And then how are you able to integrate them into the dynamic that you have? Because, you know, somebody like that is another balancing figure in your, in your life and in your business. Right. And I, I wish I had an answer for how these people find their way into our lives, because these people come into our lives and it feels like they're already there, right? It feels like we, we knew them. Our hearts recognize each other. There's already an immediate love and respect. And, and so when that happens, it's magic and we don't want to lose those people and we want to do whatever we can for them. And, and so I, I don't know why, but I'm so grateful that that happens and that, and that there's this greater connection that um, humans have and, and that brings us together. And, you know, who knows what that is, but um, it's, it's certainly, you know, it needs to be talked about because I, like some of these people, I don't know where I would be without. Um, and especially Sarah, she is an actual queen. And I'm, like I said, I, every second with her is, I'm like, please don't quit. Please don't quit. Please don't quit. <laughs> um, she was just unbelievable. Yeah. And you're, you know, kind of pontificating on it as far as, you know, leaving or you don't want to lose somebody like that. Cause I think that's, that's important in trying to keep them practically how do you do that because they plateau right you know you can't pay them more they are more ambitious than the the, the framework that you have uh, touch on that a little bit because i think it's something that does need to be addressed is like how do we actually then find those people and and keep those people within the you know the challenges of running an actual business right and that's such an incredible question i sat in on a seminar yesterday with uh, Julie Reiner and she was talking about the same thing. And it's like, that's how um, Ivy became a partner at, um, at Leanda is because she was so incredible. They didn't want to lose her. They didn't want her to plateau and, and not have opportunities for growth and, and ownership. And so it's like, when you have those people on your team, you literally do whatever you possibly can to improve their life, to make sure that they're fulfilled in their career um, to make sure that they're happy, they're not stagnant, um, that they have what they need and, you know, outside of work. Um, and so it's, it's the never ending question. And, and eventually those people might be ready to move on. And, and that's not something that we can hold against them. We can only prepare ourselves for that and, and be very happy for the person that gets them. But um, sometimes it is forever, you know, sometimes that is your forever business partner that you didn't know was coming. So it's just, it's part of life. And, and I think it's, 
that's something that all humans encounter in, in some regard, you know, be that with friendship or children or something, you know, that relationship evolves and, and there's evolution to it and, and you just, you grow with it and you have to be okay with it. Yeah, if you love something, let it go. I think it's interesting, hard, with a, an interesting concept. You gotta, you cannot keep them in a box because it's better for you personally or for your exactly. business. You gotta grow them and grow them and cultivate and cultivate until they burst out and either you have an opportunity to create something for them with them or you need to see them move on. And I think if you have that mentality, a lot of times that comes back around like just the karma of it or that individual actually finds their way back to you because there's a lot of bridges burnt. I've done it. It's been done to me. We've all right. dealt with it. And, and like every time I have, I've been like, why did I, why did I let my ego force me to do that? And I know it's just, it never pays off. So I think that's very interesting. Right. You mentioned something that I just want to touch on a little bit more is outside of work. We don't have enough positive outlets. We don't check in with each other outside of work. We're expected to be these superheroes at work and work tirelessly and do an amazing job. And it can break us in the micro of day to day, but in the macro, we see it a lot. Our industry is struggling with it. And how do you check in outside of work? What does that look like specifically with you and Sarah or just maybe generally? Um, I would say specifically for myself, I, um, I try to be selfish with my time when I'm not at work. And when, um, when I can, you know, get my workout in, when I can get in a little extra sleep, um, a little time to read, whatever I need, literally just to sit in silence. I try to be selfish, um, enough to give myself, uh, that, those times because I know that I need them and I'm not a, as good of a person or boss or coworker, um, if I don't get that. And so making sure that I um, give myself those things. But then also um, on the flip side of that is, um, you know, um, we have to be selfless too and make sure that we offer our time uh, to check in with others. And so making sure that that's, um, you know, whether it's like grabbing coffee, five minute chat, catch up with Sarah, anything like that. Or, um, or as I mentioned, Alex earlier, you know, like giving ourselves that time to check in with each other and make sure that we're in as good of a place as we can be because it's not always going to be perfect. You're not always going to be super happy, but like as good as you can be in that moment and that we're, uh, we're providing anything we can for that person. I think it, there's a duality to that, that you have to strike where you're giving yourself what you need, but you're giving others what they need too. Yeah. Giving time. Once again, reoccurring exactly. theme here is great. This was amazing. Sarah, you are getting the shout outs that you deserve and probably oh a lot more. Someone and fly this woman a banner around Denver. Let's, let's make it happen. Yes. Uh, we'll start with this, this little podcast and then go from there. But that's really yes. the goal is there is countless Sarah Bennett's. There is countless people in this industry. They just need more acknowledgement and recognition. We need to spend more time celebrating the humans versus our, our victories as we see them being you know, somewhat hollow if they're only what we did and how we did it, but why and who. So important. Amazing. So we always like to finish with some words to live by, a little quote, a little mantra, something to take out of the world to make it a better place. You gave me two, 
I love each individually and the fact that they are so polarizing which speaks to just the duality that you mentioned of, of being a, a fucking human being. And you said, this is, uh, this is Dolly Parton, I know this first one, right? Be sweet. You also say, take no prisoners, burn it down. Talk to us about what's going on there. Well, the first one, I'm, I, it's no secret that I love Dolly Parton. She is um, an angel on this earth among us. Um, and she, um, you know, just her, the, her level of humanity and, and the way that she cares for people and gives back to the community is unbelievable and super inspiring. And that, um, that motto of like, be sweet and just be kind and spread love where you can and joy where you can, because life is fucking hard, right? And, and that's the least we can do to each other is, is bring that happiness where we can that smile and that sweetness and it's what drives hospitality too right being welcoming and and, and that warmth and kindness and but in the, and on the other side of that the take no prisoners burn it to the ground is the unapologetic i know i belong here i know i deserve to be here i believe in what i'm doing i believe in my staff i know that we um deserve our spot and 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 you know I, I, it's just like, I'm not going to apologize for what we want to do and what we want to serve and, uh, who we want to be and what we want to say and the music we want to play. And it's like, this is what we do. We're not here to offend anyone, but we are here to push it. And, you know, we're, we're going to push it as far as we can and we're not going to suffer any fools or take any prisoners along the way. Mary Allison Wright, you deserve to be here and anywhere and everywhere you want to be. You, in fact, are an actual angel on this earth. <laughs> Thank you so much. What an amazing conversation. Everybody listening is going to get immense amounts of value from a lot of different things we discussed. And just love how many people you got to give a shout out to because they fucking oh my God. deserve Paul, it. Paul Isaac, Christian Hammerdorfer, my wine team. I'm an idiot. See, there we go. I'm still yelling names at you. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep I'm, happening. You're going to be texting me through know, the night. Go, wait, wait, these three more people. Right. I'm just going to have you record 10 more people's, 20 more people's names. <laughs> yes, perfect. And we'll just cut it into the episode. It'll be great. Thank perfect. you so much for talking with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving me words to digest and, and you know, add into um, and what drives me. And, and thanks for doing this. This is really incredible. And I can't wait to hear Sarah's episode. And I can't wait to see um, the evolution of, of this entire thing. I think it's really going to, to push people and make them think about why. Why, why and who? I'm honored. Cheers. Who? No surprise, Mary has done an amazing job of really shouting out a lot of people that she's got the opportunity to work with in the past and some people that are just really so important to her today. And I'm really excited to have Sarah Bennett on the line. Sarah, thanks for talking with us. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited. Mary was just exuberant. And when I asked her, you know, who is somebody that you've nominated as an unsung hospitality hero? I was reading it, she wrote it, but I could hear her words screaming off the page. She was so excited, so emphatic. Uh, she wrote as much about you as she did about herself, uh, basically writing a, a bio about all the things about you. So I'm very, very excited because I can tell that relationship is so, so important. So before we get into the relationship, I'd wanna hear a little bit about just your origin story, how you got into the industry and some of that. So she mentioned you're originally from Denver, and kind of spent some time in Boston. So maybe crystallize that for us and then definitely talk about your first job in the industry. That's always an interesting topic for me. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, born and raised in Denver and uh, went to college here and decided I had to get, get away for a little bit. Uh, found myself in New York City and then somehow ended up in Boston. Uh, I was a little late to the game in the industry. Uh, when I was about 24, 25, I found myself looking for a new job and just needed to, you know, make ends meet. East Coast rent is no joke. Uh, so I decided to go out and talk to a couple of restaurants and see if I could jump in as a host and pick up some extra shifts and hours and whatnot. Uh, so my first job in the industry was at 24, I became a host at Russell House Tavern, which is a extremely high volume Harvard Square um, kind of pub style, American style uh, restaurant in, in Boston. So you're like right in the mix there. What were you yes. doing before you were looking for this job and, and landed as a host? Uh, before that, I was working in disaster management at the American Red Cross, so it was a pretty smooth transition. I believe that restaurants are some form of disaster management on their own, so had a it is controlled chaos, hundred yes. percent. Very interested in that. I'm going to continually reference your ability to manage crisis throughout this because I think that is something clearly fundamental. It's like you maybe were trying to run away from it, but then also found familiarity in yes. it in the restaurant yeah. industry so fascinated with that okay so then what brought you back to denver so uh my sister got sick unfortunately a little over a year ago and i decided that it was time to time to come home uh and be close to the family wanted to support her and support uh my parents and everybody else and it was just time to come back so picked up everything from boston and headed out here okay homecoming and so by this time now, you're, you're in it. You're in the restaurant industry. It wasn't just a job getting you out of your kind of first career. You're, you're in it. Is that correct? Or were you still kind of waffling about if you were going to be in hospitality long term? No, no. At this point, I had been, I'd fully embraced the host life. And uh, basically, a couple weeks in, I decided that I wanted to be the person uh, who kind of worked their way up into management, but had done almost every position in the restaurant. Um, because of my prior experience, Russell House Tavern asked me from hosting if I wanted to move right into management. And I said no, because I wanted to be a food runner. I wanted to work on the line. I wanted to bartend. I wanted to learn and kind of just take in every single aspect of the industry I could to be the best, you know, manager, general manager. That was kind of the end goal. Um, I wanted to be the best at that. And I didn't think that I could do that job justice having not kind of served in every rank in the restaurant. Why do you think that is so important to you or to maybe what you see as, as a good leader within the industry, understanding each of those facets within a restaurant? I just think that the industry is, is, is hard, you know? It's, there's a lot of burnout. There's a lot of like quick turnaround. Um, you have to learn how to work with people and how to understand where they're coming from. And I think one of the things that I truly value and the bosses that have meant a lot to me in the past is the fact that they could level with me and see eye to eye and they knew exactly what I was going through. And I know that if somebody had come into the restaurant saying, you know, I did, did a couple of host shifts, but now I'm a manager and I know nothing about, you know, running food or, you know, what goes into making these plates or what goes into shaking a cocktail, I wouldn't respect their, their opinion or their, their feedback as much. Yeah, you don't have the empathy, the understanding to be able to encourage them, know when they're doing a good job, know when you need to kick their ass a little bit. So I think that's, I think that's smart. I think that's a yeah. good approach where sometimes we just say, I want to 
get to the next job. I want to be ambitious and go up, up, up. And sometimes some of that lateral movement allows you a lot more upward trajectory that's like sustainable versus it being hollow. So I'm, I can appreciate that quite a bit. So I want to get into the who of the leadership that, that Mary has instilled and the, the camaraderie that you have. So talk about where you first connected with Mary uh, professionally. Yeah, so I, um, I kind of waffled a little bit in the Denver industry. Uh, having grown up here, the places we used to go out to eat were Chili's, Olive Garden. Like Growing up here, there were not major culinary places that were even approachable at, for, for most people. Um, so a lot has changed. And in the eight years I was gone, a ton has changed. Uh, and I, you know, had been stodging around. I probably emailed everybody on the top 25 best restaurants list saying, you know, I'm here, I'm looking for a job. These are, this is my background. Um, and this, these names kept coming up, Marion McLean. And I thought it was one person, this person, Marion McLean. Uh, and I kept saying, you know, like, how do, how do I get to chat with these people? I'd love to just kind of pick their brain about the industry and see what's going on. Um, and then randomly through a reference, Juan shot me a text, um, just totally randomly one day said, hey, you know, I heard you just moved here from Boston. I've got some contacts there. Uh, I was talking to somebody and they said that you'd potentially be a really great person to, to hire. I'd love to chat with you at some point. Uh, so I went through that and he said, you know, I think you'd be a really great, great fit at Morin. And I, uh, I, you know, talked to the, the uh, director of operations at the time, Michael Saratani, and he had me come in for a stage. And the first person I met was Mary. Um, she just like, I walked in the door and her not knowing anything about why I was there or what was going on immediately, like her attention was at the door. She came right up, introduced herself wanted to know like how she could help me and what she could be there for. Um, and that like that impression right off the bat, I was like, this is definitely a place that I can see myself working. Like they definitely are clearly already doing a lot of things. Right. And she probably had the, was it platinum white hair at the time and like swagged <laughs> out. So she just, she has a presence, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I was like, who is this super hip woman? She does not look like somebody I see walking around the streets in Denver uh, but I'm down to work for her if this is, if this is what this is all about. Uh, love hearing that. So you got on the team there. Were you part of the opening team at this restaurant? No, I came in probably three months after opening. Um, I think they had kind of just gotten to the swing of things and were solidifying the staff that they wanted and uh, decided they needed one more. And so I was able to sneak in there uh, pretty, pretty quickly and pretty early on in the game. Okay, well, talk to us about maybe your role kind of day-to-day -day as you saw it, as it evolved. Definitely Mary and what she really brought to the table and how she influenced you and set that groundwork, as well as just that organization as a whole. They have what, eight restaurants. You mentioned Juan, Juan Padro, and his team have quite a few different concepts around the uh, Denver area. And so I'm really interested in that. And as always, feel free to shout out and name drop as many people that you got to work alongside that influenced you, that supported you, that, that pushed you. So give us a little bit of that, that early on at Morin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am addicted to learning. Uh, I have this, this passion for uh, being in a, in a situation in which I'm continually being uh, challenged and and. Uh, that was one of the things that in the Boston industry just was the norm. 
so harder to find coming to Denver and Morin is like definitely pushing that. They're doing menu changes regularly. The cocktails change. They've got interesting ingredients that aren't like your run of the mill um, ingredients that you see in cocktails and in food. They're doing all these different methods and they want to talk about it. And it's this, you know, you, every day there's an opportunity for staff education. Um, so early on in that, I, I, I jumped in as a server with the potential of kind of moving out of the bar. I was excited about the opportunity to kind of learn from McLean. Um, but what drew me to Morin initially was the wine list and to see somebody um, in Denver pushing this kind of 100% natural wine thing, which is definitely a little bit more ubiquitous on the East Coast. Uh, I was truly inspired by, by that and by the risk of that. Um, because you still even get pushback on it on the East Coast when people say, oh, do you have anything, you know, not super funky, like I don't really like natural wine. And that leads into a whole other conversation <laughs> where they've maybe not been exposed in the way that they should have been and, and, and everything else. But uh, I just, I mean, I looked at Mary's wine list and I was like, all right, we are on the same page. She, she knows her stuff and I am super inspired by this and I wanna try every single one of these wines and we clearly have, have some things to chat about. Um, so just kind of as a server there, um, staff education happens pretty regularly. Um, Kevin Burke came on as a manager initially. Uh, he's now the GM, but he, you know, every day pre-shift would be, you know, what can we learn? What can we talk about? Somebody tell me about this dish. Somebody tell me about this cocktail. Um, same with like McLean coming up and, and showing us the new drinks and talking about the ingredients and the processes and everything that went into it like there's just so much information that you can gain from the the people who work at Morin because they're on top of uh their game in the industry and they want to be pushing the envelope all the time and that that includes the kitchen as well like i am so impressed talking to uh max mckissick he just has so many great innovative ideas and like you talk to him about foraging and you talk to him about you know fresh ingredients and the things that matter to him um, Charles Matthews is, uh, has recently landed in Denver after doing a couple stints in some really amazing places and, you know, big on talking about, you know, fermentation and, uh, these processes that are definitely new to Denver. Um, so it was just like a very inspiring place to be, um, just, I mean, yeah, very, very, very interesting, but for me, I'm a wine nerd, um, so I was definitely instantly drawn to Mary and like just being able to at any moment kind of talk to her about wines that were on the list and what she liked about them and being able to taste them. Um, that was that was really what solidified my wanting to be at Morin. Yeah, I love that. I mean, definitely the opportunity to be pushed mentally. We're pushed physically always, always in the industry to be pushed mentally in a way that's like invigorating versus depleting, I think is really, really great. So the education side of that is good and that thirst for knowledge. So it's clear you you two were nerding out on wine, natural wine that crystallized the relationship. Talk to yeah. me about maybe the personalities. Why do you think you and Mary clicked so well to then maybe take us from what it was that clicked again early on throughout. So now you're running proper pour. Yep. And evolving in your relationship there and now more trust and and responsibility and confidence in you so talk about the personality side because i'm always very interested in how people click especially to mary's point she's a a big personality 
Yes. You know? And then McLean working with him, a completely different artistic personality. I think she said he's like a, a balloon that's just so creative. And, but if you're yeah. not careful, he'll float away. Right. So I, <laughs> and, and then she talked about her OCD, all, all, all of these dynamics at play. So kind of distill that down for us a little bit and talk about the personalities and how you just clicked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think one of the funniest things that Mary and I talk about is how much of each other's fan we are. Um, I think just kind of from the beginning, we were like, oh my gosh, you're great. I want to be your friend. How do we become friends? Like, let's make this happen. Um, so I think there was just like an initial uh, something that clicked that we were drawn to each other. Um, and what kind of solidified that was, you know, day to day being in the trenches at Morin, uh, you know, you have to be good. You have to be on top of your stuff. Like there's, there's a lot that's going on in that restaurant. There's a lot that you have to coordinate. Um, and I think we just kind of gained this, this respect for each other and that we could, you know, put our, put our heads down and get the stuff done and be there and, and get it done in a way that's serving the guests. We're both also big, big on hospitality, like anything that makes the people happy, we are there for. Um, so I think we just kind of connected on the fact that we both have a very similar way of like going through service and making sure things are seamless and wanting things to be as perfect as possible. Um, but we could always kind of have, if there were like a moment to take a break or to, to take a breath, we could definitely like step out of it, have a good time, laugh about something, chat about it, and then get right back to the grind. And I think we just kind of had this, this thing where we were, you know, we did and we see each other across the room and it'd be like, all right, we've got this, we can do this. And then we'd come back together after things would slow down and just kind of laugh about it. And, and you kind of have to keep a lot of levity in the restaurant industry, in my opinion, because it's, it's hard work. You're running around, you're dealing with people that could potentially be difficult. Um, there are so many moving parts that you really have no control over and it's all about how you handle yourself. So to be able to have somebody in, in a job where you can turn around and like relieve some of that stress by just having a conversation with them, that is definitely what brought Mary and me together in this place where we were like, all right, yeah, we're gonna, we, we, we have a lot of the same ideas and we're gonna get this stuff done. And, and, you know, I think we kind of got caught in this idea that we could potentially change the world if we worked together, which is really cool. Why not you? We're yeah. all changing the world, right? She talks yeah. about uh, checking in, checking in with your ch with yourself, checking in with with others, which I think is interesting. You mentioned that, where it's almost like you created these nonverbal communications. You lock eyes across the the busy restaurant or whatever it might be, and and you're checking in with each other in these like minute moments. I think that's super fascinating. I, I'm so I'm so intrigued with communication, and I think mm -hmm. that communication is not always need to be spoken. Actually, most of our communication is nonverbal. So I just, uh, that really clicked when you, when you talked about that. And so now you are running proper pour. So you're really spending all your time now on, on the wine and then the full portfolio of, you know, spirits and beers and all that. But that wine is really key to that brand, the proper pour. So the energy is also very different. It's all education and there's less of that, that pace. How yeah. now are the two of you kind of managing that and, and working together on that and, and pushing each other and inspiring each other? Um, it's been a really cool experience moving into this role. Um, 
I had to take a little bit of a break from the industry for a couple of months. And Mary texted me one day and said, hey, like, any chance you're around to pick up a shift at the wine wine shop? It was supposed to be like a casual, like, hey, we need help tonight. Can you do it type thing? Um, and I picked up a shift and then I picked up a couple other shifts. And I I kind of started to realize that the wine shop was exactly what I wanted to be doing, but more so to be able to just like by osmosis, learn every single thing that I could from both Mary and McLean uh, was an opportunity that I could not pass up. Uh, so I kind of suggested <laughs> this role for myself um, and hoping to kind of create, uh, I, want, I want to have longevity with, with Mary. Uh, I want to, you know, see if we can change the world and and uh you know create the best hospitality um you know like i guess uh mentality and like way of working um and way of like serving the community that we can um so i kind of suggested this thing and it just clicked that it made so much sense the fact that i would be able to pick their brains about you know what we should be putting in the shop, but also the ways in which we want things to run and the ways in which we want things to, to look and, and you know, the, I, I think production of a lot of the things that go into the shop is really important to us and providing a service for people uh, that doesn't exist really in Denver uh, is also something that we're really passionate about. So it just, it was a cool kind of trajectory to, to me saying, you know, let me help you guys and also slightly con you guys into thinking that I'm helping you, but I'm actually just going to try to learn everything that I possibly can from you in the meantime. Um, so yeah. respect anybody who just makes their own position. It's really <laughs> great. And yeah. a lot of times, you know, for small business owners, trust and confidence I mentioned earlier, you said respect. These are like really important words because it's hard to give up something that you're so emotionally, first of all, but so financially tied to that if, if you have that trust and that confidence, I think that goes a long way. So I was kind of scratching around and then you went right in and said that you needed to get away from the industry for a minute. I was interested in that going from that restaurant lifestyle into the proper poor. So touch on that just for a second. What was it that... Yeah had you feel like you needed to pull away and then what brought you back into this very focused lane within the industry that still allows you to be excited and passionate about the industry, but maybe not getting your teeth kicked in every night. Right. Um, so my, my departure from the industry was unfortunately the sad uh, fact that my sister passed uh, from, from cancer. Uh, so, so sorry to hear that. Thank you. Um, so I, I, I had to stop there was not really an option for me there. Uh, but once it kind of turned into what am I going to do next, there was this thought process that I had of, of, you know, my parents own their own business here in Denver and, you know, they're getting to the point where they're looking to retire. And uh, I mean, I guess the natural trajectory for a lot of people in that case is to entertain the idea of maybe taking over that business and keeping it going. Uh, they run an African art business that ships internationally um and they have truly kind of gone from from nothing to to making this a very very profitable business for themselves uh and they needed a little bit of help kind of moving into the century whether it be website help or social media or marketing or whatever else 
uh, and I knew that I could bring those skills to the table. So I decided to to take that path and check it out. And, you know, I think I found myself every day craving the things and the experiences that I got from from working in the industry. There was there was not a day where I was, uh, you know, sitting at a computer talking to somebody in Italy about the mask that they just purchased where, uh, you know, it was, it was fun and it was exciting, but I wasn't passionate about the masks. I wasn't passionate about the business. Um, I was craving hospitality, truly. Um, so it just so happened that Mary texted me at a time in which I was really, you know, feeling like I was missing it, um, but also not really feeling like I wanted to put the dance goes back on and just be running around. Um, you know, I'm, I'm moving into to my 30s this year and I feel like I want to be in a place in which I can really start focusing in now that I've kind of had this opportunity to, to work a bunch of positions in the industry to kind of hone in on management and operations and to be able to, to, to work on, a, on that level. And um, the shop just was the perfect opportunity for that because it wasn't going to be, you know, serving in the trenches, you know, all these moving parts and everything else. It was, it was an opportunity for me to, to take a step back and still be in the industry and also be able to learn more about wine, which is definitely where my passion lies in, in the industry outside of, you know, just general hospitality. Uh, and I, you know, fish to water, truly. I think the transition from my parents' business back into into the industry and, and specifically into the proper pour, uh, I've, I felt more motivated than I'd felt in a very long time. Um, and it just, it was clearly the move that I needed to make. And, and I still feel that way. Yeah, so appreciate hearing that because so many of us ebb and flow, fall in love and out of love with the industry. And I think it's always that piece to me that's very fascinating of, of how we find ourselves into it how we try to get the hell away from it, how we can't get away from it. All, all of those dynamics, I think, are important. People listening, I know, have had those experiences and those thoughts and the, you know, the trepidation, falling back in love. And, and you kind of are pushing and pulling and pushing and pulling by your own accord or just the nature of the chum of the industry. And to find that sweet spot is, is really empowering. I can tell the excitement from hearing you from talking to Mary, I think it's really, really important that we just, we continue to have that why, why we get out of bed in the morning and, and that's clear to you. You have that hospitality, you have that education. Those are the two things that seem really important to you. And you're connecting something so new to Denver, which is your hometown. So I can totally appreciate that. It's no, it's no doubt to me that the two of you are going to change the world. I'm <laughs> so happy to have talked to you. I'm so glad. This is why I love doing this podcast. I didn't know who Sarah Bennett was before, and now I have such a depth of understanding of why you are in the industry and why the industry in Denver specifically, your hometown, is going to continue to get better and better. Sarah, thank you so much for talking with us. I really appreciate you taking the time. This was, this was a lot of fun. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.